everybody. I'm Kelly Ellers. Jeffrey Lonnan. And this is Volume Up by the Tees. On last week's episode, I interviewed Jacqueline and Abby, the co-founders of Candor Beauty, one of the first multi-brand beauty and personal care retailers who cater to Black women and other women of color. Headquartered in London, Candor Beauty aims to serve women who want access to quality beauty and personal care products that specifically address their beauty needs, no matter where they're located. Much love to Jacqueline and Abby. Hope that you guys check out that episode if you missed it. And if you like learning more about the industry, those who are enacting change and creating a better world, make sure you subscribe, rate, review, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, all the places, at ReadTheTees, and sending questions to volumeofthetees.com. This week, I spoke with the one and only Yanae Damtu, salon owner and entrepreneur of her own education program on how she got started in the salon world and ended up working at the White House shortly after. Her salon is a model for inclusivity and represents the importance of diversity in our industry, no doubt. Yanae was a joy to talk to, and I'm so excited for you all to listen to our chat. There's some spoilers. She's done some iconic hair. So thank you, Yanae, for joining us. Speaking of iconic hair, we are going to talk about the things that our editorial team has been up to. And one of those things is celebrating a woman, Miss Britney Spears, who's finally free. Free. Uh, There's an (laughs) article. Free, damn it. It's Britney, bitch. She's free. (laughs) Um, The article is entitled Britney Spears' Most Unforgettable Music Video Hairstyles. And my God, does this article deliver? I mean, if you are a Britney fan, like the two of us are, yeah. You gotta get in there. Britney's a living legend. Let's face it, it's a fact. Since bursting onto the scene and into our hearts 23 years ago, don't do the math, Oof. with her debut single, Baby One More Time, she's consistently pushed the boundaries of what it means to be a pop star with her dance-heavy performances and sugary sweet vocals. Of course, the fantastic catalog of Ms. Britney Spears includes the music videos uh, and helped to cement her status as a cultural icon and the princess of pop. This article details the best looks. So you got to go and check it out for some nostalgia. We can all celebrate Miss Spears. But Kelly, I need to know from your end, what are your thoughts? So our girl is free, which we are all rejoicing about. Um, You know, for my look for her, my all-time favorite is not hit me baby one more time. It is, nope, it's not the pigtails. It is toxic. That's my all-time favorite look. Which look and, within Toxic? Because there's a few that are like the, I mean, there's that glitter. Oh, it's that Yes, <laughs> the glitter cat the body suit, bodysuit, <laughs> <laughs> and the hair. And then the other one is not so, you know, it's not one of her major hits, but every time. Do you remember that one? So oh, with yeah. a simple white shirt running down the hallway sort of look, tousled mm-hmm. blonde hair. Mm-hmm. She's the queen for a reason. And now she's got some cash in her pocket and she can buy candles and she can get those hair extensions done to her liking. Mm -hmm. Goodbye conservatorship. Uh, (laughs) Exactly. Uh, And hello to some good extensions. We're looking forward to seeing that for her. We want that for Brittany. We want to see her at her best. Uh, Again, this article on the tease.com recaps all of the best, the best greatest hits, the the looks that you you know and love. Um, So go check it out. Also new to the tease, four ways to prep your hair for the fall. Look, we're here. Cold yep. weather, it can be harsh. It could be awful. I don't know what cold weather is like. I'm in LA, um, <laughs> but I understand in the Midwest that things are taking a turn for the wintry mix, uh, which means that things can go awry with our hair. There's 
breakage, all sorts of things that we do not love to see. So when temperatures are low, water molecules in our hair expand, which dries out strands and makes them easier to snap. On top of that, many people may be particularly prone to shedding during the fall and winter. So our editors met with brands and stylists to understand what they should be doing with their hair during the fall to change it up, to make sure that it's looking its best, uh, which is what we all want. So go to thetees.com, take a look at those tips. Kelly, you're in. What are you doing in fall and winter to take care of your hair? Yeah, so, you know, I'm a hair product connoisseur. (laughs) And so I am all for a great hair mask. In fact, I probably do it once a week, not going to lie. Maybe we'll increase it for the fall. As I look out the window, there is snow falling. So the time is here. So I'm going to check out the Coco and Eve nourishing hair mask. But what I'm on right now is the good old Olaplex number eight. I soaked those babies into my freshly highlighted hair and would like to say goodbye to breakage and hello to bondage bonding. I won't say bondage and hello (laughs) and hello to bonding. (laughs) Hello to bondage is an entirely different podcast. Uh, What you should do (laughs) listeners is say hello to the tees.com. Go and check out that article uh, and see some pro tips. Another article that's new to the Meet Clicks, the industry's first AI-enabled digital hair color studio. If you've ever hoped for a way to make creating custom colors for your clients just a little bit easier, you're in luck. Clicks has developed a new revolutionary color system that's about to completely change the way that hair color is not only prepared, but stored and sold. As the industry's first AI-enabled digital hair color studio, Clicks gives stylists the opportunity to design, measure, mix, and dispense custom hair colors with just a few simple clicks, thus the name. Mm-hmm. Kelly, what are your thoughts on this? Are we you know, excited about the development? You know, I feel like it's good forward momentum for the industry. I mean, most industries are adopting some sort of AI. Um, so it's good for our future. It's good to push us forward technology-wise from a salon pro standpoint. I will be curious to see how it is received in the salons, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. I mean, it's a changing of a behavior, right? And that's always that always comes with the challenge. I know how to mix my products. I don't need a machine to do it for me. So it will be interesting to see how uh, our industry, you know, receives new products like click, like the click system, but you know, they, it's headed by industry icon and SVP of global creative, Christopher Benson, Christopher knows, he knows the deal. He's been around a long time, highly accomplished salon pro. So what I can get behind solidly is that it's, it's eliminating waste, right? So we know color, you know, whether it's squeezing the last bit out of a tube that just gets tossed or actually tossing the tube, there's a lot of area and room for growth from an eliminating waste standpoint. So head over to the tees.com, head over to Clicks Color on Instagram to find out more. All right, last of what I think we need to cover is something that everybody's gonna have a little bit of fun with. The article is channel your inner Parisian with these six hairstyles. French girls master the art of perfectly unmanned hair. We know that everybody copies it. They want that whole look. They always seem to lead the way when it comes to chic, effortless hairstyles that exudes that je ne sais quoi. If you've ever hoped to emulate French girl hair, which who hasn't, I have. I mean, I don't even have hair. (laughs) Um, There are a few signature hairstyles and haircuts that you should consider. Um, From messy and textured buns to elegant chignons, we've rounded up six gorgeous hairstyles that Parisians swear by. Kelly. Yes. Lay it on me. 
of the six styles that are listed there. Would you consider any of them? I know you were partial to your own style. I don't know that it fits necessarily, but I'd love to hear it. Would you do a bob? At this time, I think I'm going to have to decline. I would not do a bob. <laughs> but I love to look at a well-coiffed bob, especially the classic French bob, which is shorter than the average bob, cheekbone skimming, often paired with a straight across bang. Classic. I will not be rocking that. It doesn't work. I'm not Parisian. <laughs> We can appreciate but, it. And that's I what the spirit of the article is about. Exactly. It. So mm-hmm. head to the tease.com, look for this one, get inspired, maybe share it with some clients if they're looking for something new. Um, if you're looking for something new, share it with your stylist. Kelly's not for the record, but <laughs> you know, maybe you are. So check it out. As always, so much going on the tease.com. Thank you to our hardworking editors. We're proud to publish the stories that salon pros and consumers care about. Next up, salon owner and entrepreneur of her own education program, excited to share my interview with Yane and all of the amazing things that she's up to, including all the famous styles that she has done in her career. Today on the pod, we have Yane Damtu. She was a self-starter far into her youth. I have enjoyed my time researching you, getting to know you from afar, and here we are in person. Uh, Upon graduating from cosmetology school, the Ethiopian American California native launched her career, and within six months, she packed her bags and moved to Washington, D.C. to become a hairstylist to the one and only Obama family. This life-changing position allowed her to take her skills beyond the chair, collaborating with makeup artists and fashion designers, doing covers and complete editorial shoots. With over 15 years experience, Yene has worked in almost all areas of the industry. She's opened up two locations of Aesthetic Salon, where she has created an, an inclusive community of top-rated stylists that fully embrace the concept of connecting and educating the everyday woman on hair care. In 2019, she launched her own business mentoring program, The Academy, which teaches hair stylists how to focus on concise business strategies. Whew. All right, Yine, in 15 years, you've dang near done it all. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. We're so excited to have you. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here and to be talking with you today. You bet. All right. So we've got so much to dig into. Uh, You know, mentioned your salon, your academy, working with the first family, but let's start with you. Tell me about Yane from the beginning, your childhood, high school, leading in then into beauty school as well. Um, yeah, started doing hair at a very young age, grew up in uh, La Palma, California, which is an Orange County right outside of LA. It kind of that's where it really began for me when I think about um, kind of the, the idea of like cultivating inclusivity and like kind of understanding hair. Um, uh, when I was growing up, my mother uh, used to put hot rollers in her hair uh, every Sunday oh. before we went to church. And I, I didn't understand what was going on. I'd be like, she put these things <laughs> in her head and then she'd get in the shower and put her shower cap on and she'd okay. come out and she'd have these beautiful bouncy curls. And I didn't understand. And I used to just, I remember like always going and when she would go into the shower, touching, opening up the hot roller container yeah. and touching like the metal warmers and not really understanding, but it would burn me. Um, so like, that's kind of like where the obsession started with hair and like really trying to understand hair. It, it 
I date back to that. And I also think about, uh, going swimming in the summertime okay. and my hair go- going out into the sun and seeing that people's hair would get lighter. Um, and I would be like, what's going on. And then there was that product sun in, and I didn't really understand that when you sprayed sun in, in your hair, that your hair got lighter and why it got lighter. So that's probably where the curiosity, um, first began when it pertains to like the beauty industry. But for me, um, child of immigrants, uh, grew up, uh, in La Palma, California, myself, my mom, my dad, and my brother. Um, and my parents still live in the same house that we grew up in. Um, and they're still there. Uh, our neighbors are all the same, which is kind of amazing and amazing. Um, but it's kind of cool because it's like our own little, we we used to call it the international cul-de-sac because, um, everybody on the, everybody on the, on the block was from a different place in the world. Um, ethnically. And it was really kind of cool because they still live there. And so they've kind of like all watched us all grow up and like, we've kind of like, you know, people have kids now and, and it's, it's been like a cool little situation. That's amazing. I mean, it sounds like a Hallmark movie when you had holidays, (laughs) (laughs) everybody's there. Like, yeah, Yeah, it's actually kind of cool. It's like, you come back and people are like, how long are you in town for? And you know, we like, wait, my, one of my neighbors by, she's like, I think probably 90. Okay. And she still lives in the house. And I'm like, is Vi still around? Like, can we go say bye every time I come home? And she lives two doors down from my parents. So yeah, it's, it's, it's nice. It's definitely nice. I like it. And I, I've got to say back in the day, I love a good hot roller too. I mean, who's going to shy away from that? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm like, we need to bring these. I love the fact I still have like two hot roller. I have my Con Air hot roller set yeah. that is in my kit for when I travel to do clients. And it's like, it's a staple. Like it, it, yeah. it works. It works. <laughs> it's the OG. Okay. It's any hairdressers OG. in your family, barbers, hairdressers, anyone in the beauty world that, that sparked a further interest for you? I wouldn't say family members like by okay. blood. Yeah. Um, I had a friend in high school. Uh, mid- she, we, we actually have been friends in like this middle school, elementary school area. Janae Gibson, her mother owned a hair salon. Okay. Um, and so I remember we used to, but I, by that point, I already had taken an interest because I started braiding okay. hair in the sixth grade. Um, Whoa, and right. I kind of had a clientele by like seventh and eighth grade. By ninth grade, no I way. had like I was doing hair in my 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 parents' garage, and they made like a pseudo um, hair salon for me. Um, so I would say she probably was someone that did hair. She wasn't family, but like Janae and I are still friends. Um, okay. Eve, um, who owns a salon, who's probably my first mentor, the first salon I worked at, um, she started braiding my hair when I was like eight, and then it was crazy for me to then okay. later on work. I started working with her uh, when I graduated high school and then uh, my dad's sister, she always played with hair. Like she always like played with color. Uh, She's now my my aunt Sarah and she's now in North Carolina. And so it was around me, so to speak, but I wouldn't say that there was like any, like I wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't the person that you could say, like you hear stories of like, Oh, I grew up washing hair in the salon yeah. in my aunt's salon or like it wasn't yeah. like that for me but there was okay. definitely people around me that did hair that like I kind of ended up Janae's mom's salon it was actually my first time saying that remembering when you asked me that her she had a salon that was like down the street so we used to okay. walk there like after yeah. school so she's probably like the salon like hanging out in the salon experience that I had Okay. Got it. So from, you know, your budding entrepreneurship at in sixth grade, right? <laughs> sixth, seventh, eighth um, on. So then tell me about post high school. What were your plans? What path did you start off in? Uh, tell me about that. 
Yeah, so I went to cosmetology school when I was a junior in high school. I was 16 and I rolled in cosmetology school. Um, so I was going from 5.30 to 10.30 at night, wow. Monday through Thursday. And it was cool because um, our high school offered like a vocational program with the local community college. And then when I graduated high school, I had only completed half of the program because okay. I dropped out um, and I was like, I'm going to go to college. I have to go the traditional route. I need to do extracurricular activities. So I could get a scholarship and, you know, go the traditional college route. Yep. And so went down that journey, but I worked at a salon as a, an assistant, as a braider and a shampoo assistant. Um, like I said, my very first mentor, Eve, um, I worked with her at a salon uh, called Stallions. Um, okay. And we, it was in Anaheim, California. And we worked there and I used to assist her with braiding. And then I got my associate's degree and then I dropped out of college Okay, and went back to cosmetology school. All right. um, and then that was in May. And then by December, I graduated and okay. then, yeah, I graduated and then life took a turn. An amazing yeah. turn, but like life took a turn. So <laughs> yeah, and like I paused college and then went back to cosmetology school, and then the switch up happened. Got it. So, where, what was, when was the moment where you were like, I'm going back to cosmetology school? Yeah, yes. Oh. Those are hard decisions to make for sure. It was May. Don't ask um, me to tell you the year. 2000, <laughs> actually, I know the year. I don't know why I'm saying this because I could, May 2008. Okay. I was like, I'm going back to cosmetology school. Cause like I said, I was working in a salon and going to college and I was just right. kind of like, I need to get my license. Cause God forbid state board come in and do a pop-up and yeah. I don't have a license. I was like, that's, it's a wrap for me. It's a wrap for me. Right. Cause back then I don't even think in, in California, I think braiding you, you needed a license still, okay. you know, things have changed since, but it was just one of those things where I was just like, oh no, I'm going to go back. And yep. I decided to go back in May. So I'd finished the semester. I was planning to take a semester off and then okay. start college, like transfer to um, a university in January okay. of 09. All right. So you've got your license. The, the big turn happens. Tell us what that twist and turn in your career was and, and how, how you started out post-license. Post-license. Yeah. Post license started off with the bank because what happened was <laughs> is while it was August of 2008 and that's where I met my second mentor, Johnny Wright, um, who was originally from Chicago. And I started working with him. Um, and it was like here and there that I started working with him. And it was like every single time he called me, there was like something major going on. And so the <laughs> second time he called me to, or the third time he called me to do something, it was my birthday. And I remember being like, I just graduated cosmetology school. Um, I'm turning 21 and I'm having a party, but he was doing hair for a McDonald's commercial. And so he was okay. like, can you come assist me on set? And I was like, cool. I did January rolls around to take my state board, all of that. I'm enrolled back into college, waiting okay. for the semester to start. <laughs> and we're working together. And he was like, would you move to DC? And I was like, no, <laughs> uh, not have no interest. No, thank you. Yeah. And he was just like, okay. And he was like, really quick. You were really quick to answer. And I was like, yeah, I'm good, but I'll help you pack and I'll help you find somebody out there, but I'm good. And then I thought about it. And then in February, February 14th, 2009, oh. 
he, I remember dates. I'm weird. February 14th was <laughs> Valentine's Day. He moved. And then April 7th, I ended up moving. And what happened in between February and April, I went to DC. I met with him, kind of met with the assistant that he hired. And I'll never forget. We were at, for anyone who is familiar with the DC U Street Corridor, we were at this Mexican restaurant called Alero on U Street, right by Howard University. And I remember walking out of it and being like, yeah this isn't going to work. Like I met his assistant and I was just kind of like, just knowing how, what he needed. I was like, this isn't going to work. And I was just like, I text him and I was like, Hey, I was like, if you still need, I was like, if you need me still, I'm willing to come. And he was like, great. See you in two weeks. Okay. And it was like, passed. (laughs) So yeah. And so at that point I picked up my life. I remember coming home and telling my parents like, yeah, I'm moving to DC. And my dad was like, what? And I was like, yeah, I'm moving to DC. And they were like, okay. And I was like in two weeks. And they were like, I don't understand. And it was like this <laughs> weird thing of like, I was still in the window to drop out of college and not get okay. charged for my classes. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, you know, rushing to, to, to drop out of college and then rushing to like ship my car and pack my life and like, Ooh. and then just move and move across the country at 21. Right not knowing anything. And yeah, it was probably the best decision I made of my life. Yeah. It sounds like you had a lot of trust in Johnny too, correct? Yeah, I did. And honestly, it was just, it was, it was really the leap of faith. And it was just one of those things for me that I was just kind of like, what's the worst that could happen? Sure. I could, I could come back home and DC wasn't unfamiliar to me. My mom's sister lived here. I had cousins. It was familiar to me. So it wasn't like I was going somewhere where I knew nobody, but I always will tell people like when you pick up your life and you move across visiting somewhere and living somewhere was very different. And I, you know, once I moved, it was just like what I thought it would be. I'd be like, this would be a smooth transition. I know people here. It's just kind of like you get homesick and you realize just like vacationing and living somewhere is two different. And and then then there's the whole seasons thing that Californians (laughs) do not know. So (laughs) there's this whole snow thing, right? There's a hard in DC. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So then you picked up, you moved, you're 21. um, You said no more college for me right now. How did that go over in your family? Oh, my dad didn't talk to me for like two months. It, it wasn't, it wasn't even up for discussion. He was like, I don't, I don't care that you're going to work and you're going to work with the first family. I I don't care. Like it didn't matter. Um, Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it was just one of those things where college is important and it, it, and it is. And I think that um, it was the foundation and the foundational beliefs that my parents instilled with me, which made me go back and get my degree. Um, And the fact that I don't like to quit. And so it was just like, I started this, I need to finish it. But it is, it was just one of those things where it was just kind of like, it was a hard transition. It's a, it's a hard pill for parents to swallow because unfortunately people don't respect this industry. People don't respect what we do as artists, hairstylists, service industry, nail technicians, makeup artists, um, barbers. It's just not an industry that is respected, even though it is a multi-billion dollar industry. Um, It's just one of those things that people just haven't given the recognition and the credit that it deserves. And so, you know, ignorant is bliss. And right. My parents really knew no better. And so for them, it's like what every parent dreams, you go doctor, lawyer, engineer. Right. Right. So one of the big sort of points of differentiation and and things that we are trying very hard the T's to accomplish is to, to take that stigma of the industry away. Like, where did that come from? You know, mm-hmm. why, why is it still there? And it was interesting. I was talking with my stylist even a couple of weeks ago and she said, we're just in this climate right now where 
customers and clients are even angrier than they were. They, they want more, they demand more. And, you know, we were trying to figure out what is it? Is it the pandemic? Like what is driving this new behavior? But it, it can be somewhat un- unmotivating when you've got clients in that situation and that respect isn't there. So, you know, what's your take on how do we get us there as an industry? I mean, I think it's a combination of two things. I think, yes, societally, um, we haven't been given the respect that we deserve because people place emphasis on um, traditional academia rather than trade, right? All together, like if that even just like in the service industry, like cosmetologists and barbers and nail technicians and makeup artists, but like think about mechanics or like any type of electrician, electricians, like that's Mm -hmm. just... I think electricians are respected a little more, but yeah. Really? yeah so it, it, it gets interesting, but I also think that what happened is, is I, I, you know, people may disagree with me on this, but I think that part of it is us as professionals, we have devalued our industry and we okay. haven't positioned ourselves as subject matter experts and as the authority. And I think that we have given, um, we have forced our clients rather um, to go to other avenues and to other channels to get information. And I think it's also, yeah, like YouTube university. Um, it's the same thing like WebMD, right? Like everybody thinks that they're a doctor because they (laughs) self-diagnose themselves. Everybody goes to YouTube or reads a blog that wants to come in and tell you about how to do their hair, but they don't understand. And us as, as stylists, we don't, and we don't educate our clients and we don't have the conversations where we talk about the shaft and the cortex and, and the medulla. And, and like, we talk about the anatomy of hair and understanding what the hydrogen bonds and the sulfate bonds and what is being broken and why and ions and like the chemistry and the disinfection and sanitation and like all the things that we are taught in cosmetology school, which is more technical than it is anything practical in the trade, like the actual practice of doing hair, it's, we have devalued our industry, right? So it's like, if we don't value our industry, if we show up to work at whatever time we want, and we just kind of treat our client, like whatever okie doke, you know what I'm saying? Why would they then respect us? Yeah, that's true. It's a great point. You bring up a lot of great points and the science, the art, the creativity. I mean, there's so much to be said and, and you're right. Rarely are we talking about it and, you know, maybe behind the chair, we're talking about what's happening on the real housewives versus like what's happening, girl. Uh, you know, to your hair. <laughs> so, yeah. And it's great. one of the things that I like, I, you know, I always tell clients, like I could tell, I pay attention to my client's hair. So I'm just like, did something change in your diet? And they're always like, why did you ask? And I'm like, do you have an iron deficiency? Are you anemic? Because all of that shows up on your hair. And we know that as like, as licensed and trained professionals, if we pay attention. And I will say truthfully, when I went to cosmetology school at 16, and when I went back to cosmetology school at 20, my attention and what I paid attention to was completely different. Right. And so, um, that's the importance of continuing education and really looking at ingredients um, and understanding what's going on to pay attention to so you could communicate that with your clients so they then value you and they will pay a premium price because it's not just about can you curl hair? It's like, or can you do a blow dry or apply some color? It's like, can you place color properly and understand bone structure and underlying pigments and tones, you know, and shapes? Right. 
I love how you put it. And you've got some, you know, accolades and mentors of your own. One which we'll get into is the one and only Michelle Obama. Um, mm-hmm. Tell us about how that journey. So you're in D.C., you're there with Johnny. At that point, had he started working with the first family or? Yes. Um, yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so by that, that point, journey. he was. By okay. that point. Um, so when we relocated to D.C., he had uh, been given the opportunity to work with the first family. Um, right. And I was given the opportunity to be his assistant. And during that time, I focused primarily with the daughters and Mrs. Robinson. And uh, by the second term, I started coloring her hair, probably second term, I started coloring her hair. And that's kind of when people started to pick up and got hip, the fact that I was working with her. Um, and then at the end of the second term, I started working with her and the family exclusively. Um, okay. And uh, it has been, it was just, it was just interesting journey. And I think, again, it just goes back to really understanding that what was weird was that I was working with them, but I was second term, I was in college full-time as well. And I was servicing clients on my own. And so because I was juggling it all, that wasn't my focus. I didn't lead with the fact that I worked with her or I worked with her and her family. And so it wasn't something that was very common. And it was one of those things, which I liked, right? Like if you knew, you knew, and if you didn't, you didn't come to me because I, you enjoy me and you enjoy the services that I offer you. Um, and, and that was good enough for me. Um, and so, yeah, that's incredible. What was day one, like walking into, somewhere in the white house. I'm not sure where you went or what, (laughs) but just walking in the secret door, what was day one? Like day one was great. Day one was as soon as I got here, I think it was like four days after I got here. And I remember it was, we were going for the Easter egg roll. They had the Easter egg roll was that Monday. So it had to have been like a Friday or Saturday appointment. And I remember walking in and kind of just being like, I'm going to say this. I think there was two parts of it. There's this, there's the anxious nerves, right? That's natural. But then there was this other part of it, which I think is the Californian in me partially. (laughs) And I think the other part is the Ethiopian in me, Um, like that he's a child of immigrants in the sense that I was just kind of like, I'm here to do a job, keep your head down, do your job and leave. Right. Like I think in California, growing up in SoCal, you're so used to seeing high profile people. So you kind of just like, you see them and you're like, oh, that's cool. And you keep it moving. And so for me, (laughs) keep it cool. You could be freaking out inside, but exteriorly you keep it cool. And that was kind of like, I just kept telling myself. And and really, I remember walking in and and going into the salon that was in the White House. And I remember just, I remember being at the shampoo bowl and saying hi politely. And it was, you know, hi, sir. Hi, ma'am. And just doing your job and like focusing on what I was told to do. But I was also 21. And I was also in a place where I was hungry to learn. Right. So for me, it was just kind of like, I have to stalk and observe every single thing that Johnny's doing to make sure that I make his yeah. job easier. My yeah. purpose is to be an assistant. And if I'm so caught up in being starstruck, I'm, yeah. I'm not serving the purpose that I was there to serve. And I think that I, I think it's important for me to state that because there is this generation of stylists mm-hmm. um, where people do not believe in assisting anymore. We've lost the idea yeah. of assisting. And I right. think it's extremely important. I proudly was an assistant for eight years. And I tell everybody, I assisted Johnny for eight years throughout all the terms. And yes, there were opportunities where I was 
doing her hair from start to finish. And yes, I did the girls from start to finish. And yes, I worked with Mrs. Robinson, but at the end of the day, I was an assistant and I wouldn't have been given those opportunities. And I wouldn't be in the position I was today if I wasn't an assistant. Yeah. And, and that's such a good point. And that, that was one thing I wanted to ask you about is the assistant piece. Like how, obviously that impacted your career. You were able and hungry to learn, like you mentioned, why do you think, why do you think as an industry, we've went away from that? Is it the stigma of assisting versus being in charge? I think it's twofold. I think that there's definitely, I was guilty of it. I remember leaving cosmetology school and going and renting a chair was like, okay. I built a clientele. I have my family and friends. I don't really need to assist because okay. I'll be honest, when I finished cosmetology school, it's like, I'm only going to blue black hair. I'm a black hair stylist. I don't need to really pay attention to brown brushing. I'll learn it. But I'm like, I already have a, I know where I'm going next right. that I really right. don't need to pay attention to things that I don't need to. And I'm only going to focus on the things that I want to. Difference, right? Needs yeah. versus wants. Um, sure. And so there was that. And I think that the other part of it with assisting is that I think that people have came out and there aren't, I don't know. I I think that there aren't as many people who are willing to share information. And Um, I think the wave of independent salon suites have taken away the larger traditional salon experience where someone could go and assist. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, Definitely. And, and I think that it's such a good, impactful learning. I mean, you did it for eight years, obviously assisting an incredible stylist as well, um, but it, it certainly positioned your career. Um, tell me about now, do you have assistance at your salon like in mentorship? I do. Um, okay. So my salon started off as a, my first space is a 400 square foot uh, two chair salon. And it was myself and Salim, um, who has been with me the longest. And she started with me prior to that for two years as my assistant. And okay. then I decided I'm going to open a salon for the two of us. And we're going to okay. work at the salon, just the two of us. And then what kind of happened is just, it was like a domino effect. Then Frey joined and she was like, she saw an interview I did. And I was like, I'm willing to teach anybody. Like you want to learn? I got you. And so she right. came and she was like, Hey, can I learn from you? And she was working at another salon. She's like, I only have three days a week. And I was just like, sure. But I need to point something about out about everyone who assisted me. So when Salim came, she was only working with me two days a week because she had a job five days a week. And so for me, I was just like, oh, so you're dedicated, right? Like there was that hunger and that dedication that I saw that I was just like, okay, cool. And then when Frey came, she's like, you know, a mother of two. And she was like, I work. She was like, but I have, she's like, I work Friday through Monday. And so she was just like, so I could work with you on Tuesday and Thursday or Tuesday and Wednesday. And I was just like, okay. So I was just like, cool. Like I don't, I don't have a spate. Like I don't have a, I don't have like a full schedule that I could give you, but I was like, come. And then I think after like six months, I was like, why don't you just stay here? Like I, you know, like I was like, if you're not that busy, I was just like, we could build your clientele here. And we just kind of rotated between the two chairs, like us working and then after that, Nika Weisenhunt, uh, Weisenhunt joined and she DM'd me on Instagram and was like, I kind of like your aesthetic. I like how you're operating. Can I learn? And I'm literally all of this is a 400 square foot space and two chairs, two dryer, one shampoo bowl salon. And I was like, sure. And I was like, I only have space for you to assist me if you want to learn. 
And then I was yeah. like, and you could be a stylist on Sunday and Monday. Cause that's the only day we have chairs available. And she said, <laughs> sure. And she said, wow. can I still do my freelance stuff outside? And I said, sure. And that's how it continued to go. And then to like the price came from Richmond had a salon in Richmond, used to drive up one Sunday a month, did that for two and a half years before she decided to move last July. Um, I had a, a young woman by the name of Liu who moved from Vegas. She came for a week to be my understudy and then ended up moving. And so I'm always like, you want to learn, I'll teach you if I'm in the salon. I, sh- I will share anything. Um, I currently have, I do not service clients as much as I used to in the salon because of my okay. schedule. I probably... Yeah work one day a month, um, with my own clientele and my clientele has been passed along throughout my, my, throughout the salon stylist. Um, and we just brought on a new assistant, uh, who I am training. So I was training today before this, but I do train all the assistants that work at aesthetics personally, um, and kind of grow our team from there. Um, and it's, it's a space, you know, I really believe in community and inclusivity. And one of the things we have three pop-up stylists um, who work regularly, but also are all into all own their own spaces. One owns an actual multi-chair salon um, in Maryland and the other two have suites um, and one has an in-home in-home salon. So I am a firm believer about um, mentorship and I'm a firm advocate of allowing, creating a space for other people to come in and share their gifts. Because I will say being around other stylists, it challenges me to like stay creative and, you know, stay on, on top of trends and like learn other techniques. Amazing. So it sounds to me like you attract special people into your atmosphere. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's, you know, it's amazing. And I was listening to you on the pot on Michelle Obama's podcast and you, you sort of ended the podcast and saying, you know, I, there wasn't anything special about me. And she said, let's rephrase that. She said, you are everything special. Mm-hmm. And that those words from her have to mean a lot. And it seems to me that you're passing that vibe on to those around you. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe I was like, I forgot that that happened. Um, yeah, you know, it was that- wonderful. I rewound it twice. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I think I just have that on loop if Michelle Obama said that about me. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I think it's one of those things where it's just like, I, it's still something that I work through. I, I, I think that all of us find ourselves like when you are given amazing opportunities, I recognize the hard work and perseverance and all of that, that has I, I've led myself to believe like that is why I'm where I am, which is probably a major part of it. But I also mm-hmm. do own and recognize that it is also me. And I, and one thing that I do say, what I do know about the clients that come to our salon is that I and what I tell stylists everywhere. Anytime I talk with stylists, I was just in Atlanta recently um, hosting a, uh, an event and I was a, a salon event and I was saying we as stylists have to remember that I am your, I am my secret sauce, right? Like I am what's special. So like I could give my client my formula. I don't care. I could tell you what products I use because you will never be me, right? Like it's like you, you get a recipe and you could follow it to the T, but it never tastes the same as the person that you got it from, because there is just something special. There's a finesse of Mm -hmm. you. And so I do recognize that there is a finesse of me that makes me special, um, so yes, I am everything special. 
I love it. <laughs> you know, it's that's it's interesting, you know, our industry, are we afraid of competitors swooping in, stealing clients, you know, sharing our formula? Like what's your take on on that? It's so hard for me. And I, and I, and sometimes like, I think I sound crazy and I think people are like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Right. But I really am a firm believer. Like what is for me is for me and what is for you is for you. And like the number one thing that I remind myself and I tell everyone around me is like, we don't own our clients, right? Like, and, and that is something that we practice at aesthetics. Like you are a salon client. You could chair hop and there's not going to be any tension because at the end of the day, we are a team and we work together. Um, And what's important is that the client is being serviced. Right. And I think that even if we, if we have that mentality and if we truly believe that as individuals, good things will come our way, because I will tell you, I had a stylist friend who recently had to cancel um, clients because uh, she caught, she was, she had Corona and she had, she got caught COVID and she called me. And not only did I, like, I wasn't able to help her, but I asked other stylists in our salon to help her and they did, but that's authentically right. who we are. She's at another right. salon. Like when after inauguration and we went viral, when we couldn't take everybody, I referred them to other salons. I was with talking with one of the gentlemen, Jamal Edmonds over the weekend who owns Lodge in the city. And he said, I didn't know you didn't do relaxers. He was like, I learned when, every, when you were sending people because of inauguration, I was like, yeah, we don't do relaxers aesthetics. And oh. he was like, I just learned that. And I was like, but if anybody asks for relaxers, you're the salon that I send them to because I know right. you do them. Right. Those clients will come to us for other services, for braids, for other yep. things, right? And so it's just kind of like, there's, there's room in this industry for everybody. So having that, you know, I always talk about growth mindsets, versus like fixed mindsets and having like an abundant mindset and having an abundant mentality. Like you will get more if you pass, you create room and space for those that need to be with you. Absolutely. So you mentioned, you know, your, your kind of special sauce. Um, I noticed on aesthetics, your, you have a, something called the AS signature style. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about that? <laughs> Our signature style is what we know, we, what we're known for at Aesthetics. Um, so it's a blowout. It's a it's a wash, blow dry, and curl or style or or flat iron. You, the finish could be either curled or straight. And what it is is basically just kind of like how it's it's our bouncy curls. I don't know. Yeah. After inauguration, everybody said the Michelle Obama, um, but wow. it's what we it's what we've been doing since yeah. before. <laughs> since before we opened, but it is something that I think it's just the positioning and the, it's the flick okay. of the wrist and how you yeah. do it and then how you finish it out. And I, I tell people all the time, it's, um, we, we def, we either use roller sets, um, or we do roller set our clients and then finish mm-hmm. them out with thermal styling. And then sometimes we just use a flat iron and do certain sections with a round brush. Um, A technique that I learned um, along the way from a lot of hairstylists that I just worked alongside and it's kind of been our signature style. It's what we're known for. I like it. So after inauguration, tell me, you kind of mentioned that the salon, you know, you were getting a lot of calls. What changed for you from a business perspective, from a personal career perspective? What changed? Visibility. Um, Visibility definitely changed. And I think, um, positively, it's a, it's a double-edged sword on the, on the good side, uh, becoming more visible, 
um, allows me to have conversations or be present or have the opportunity to be in places where I am able to do the work that I want to do within the industry, which is okay. to, to push the needle and to create inclusivity and for people to look at textured hair and black hair as a different thing um, yeah. and really understand texture, right? And for people of anyone that says that there are hairstyles to be able to work with textures and making sure that brands are doing that authentically and brands yes. are doing it correctly. Um, and I think inauguration, something, something that I've always promoted, inauguration has really validified the platform for me um, to have these conversations or for people to listen to me rather, not validify, sure. but people are willing to yeah. listen to me now. On the other side of it, there is a responsibility and a pressure that you feel because there is an expectation that people have of myself as well as my salon team of how sure. the salon experience should be because of the client that I service. And I think that you know, there is this thing where it's just kind of like, when I say I'm not accepting no client, no more, I'm not accepting salon clients, people saying, oh, you, you know, I've gotten back, there's sure. a backside of it where people are like, oh, you think Michelle Obama is the only person who could afford you? And I'm like, no, I just don't have, don't have any time yeah, and don't have time. Cause I've have, a, I've been in DC for 10 plus years now and I've established a clientele. Um, yeah. and my clients, when I say there's another stylist in salon that could take care of you, it's off, it's genuine and they will take yeah. care of you. And I know that you'll get the same quality of service and, and there'll be times where like, I assist, I, she, I did a client yesterday. One of my stylists was running behind and she's like, can somebody help me? And I was like, I'll come down there, shampoo, yeah. blow dry. I was like, what else do you need me to do? I'm taking lead from you. Um, yeah. so, you know, it, there is, there's that part of it. Um, but it's been a blessing. Like I think our salon team is blessed. And I think that it's about, alignment and it's about preparation, right? Like yeah. we opened our second, I opened the second space in November, right? And what people, <laughs> people didn't know that, right? Like I opened Aesthetics 2.0 in November. Um, we were still in training, right? Still training the front desk staff and all of this stuff. We opened November 17th, the holidays happened, got through the yeah. holiday rush. November, I was at ISSE, came back, was training the team, I'm sorry, ISSC was pre-COVID, um, but we came back and was training the team and then inauguration happened. And it wow. was like, we were closed yeah. inauguration day. <laughs> I came back to work the next morning to nine, over 900 emails. Voicemail box was capped. Come on. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> and, and, and then it was like all hands on deck for us to try to accommodate everybody. But sure. at the same time, you know, it's about making sure that the clients are coming for the right reasons and we're able sure. to, to manage expectations and meet the expectations right. that fell upon us. And so it was, it, it's been a blessing. Like it, like our, our stylist, you know, my team collectively, everyone manned up, everyone yeah. stepped up to the plate, picked up more hours, um, friends. I had friends who were coming in and like answering phones on the weekend. Like it takes a village by tribe yeah. is amazing. Um, yeah. and my, my tribe from like my personal tribe to like my professional tribe who all the girls have, you know, become family to me. So yeah. And, and kudos to you because at, you know, scaling that quickly is really difficult on many mm -hmm. levels. <laughs> it's difficult, as you mentioned, from answering the phones to making sure that your special sauce is like communicated, trained and implemented synergistically across the board. Mm, Very that difficult. Part. That part. Yeah. That yeah. part. <laughs> and during a pandemic. 
<laughs> yeah. And that was the other thing. It was just kind of like, we never changed our rules. Like we're still operating at limited capacity. We're still wearing masks. So it's just kind of like, we're not double booking and all of those protocols, you know, like we, we've always worked by appointments, which is, you know, like where we, and we don't double book. So it was just, it was a lot to, to, to Ooh. process and digest. Right. Um, and more than anything, you know, my number, something that I've implemented at aesthetics and I've tried to share with the team is that we can't compromise our experience for volume. Right. No way. Right. Yeah. And so I think that that's where I have found like the, when I talk with other stylists, it's just kind of like, or not other stylists. When I ask clients, like I ask every client that's new, like, where did you go before? Like what happened? And they'd yeah. be like, oh, the double booking or, oh, you know, I was paying a lot of money and it was just, I didn't feel like I was valued. And so it's those little things. I say this all the time. I'm not the best hairstylist. There are 10 times as many better hairstylists than me out in the world and my, and our team, right? Like we're amazing at what we do within our own right, but it's not just the fact that we're amazing hairstylists. It's because we're amazing sure. people. And it's right. that, it's the human aspect and the human yeah. element and COVID after COVID people coming back into the salon where we've been isolated and haven't found like been around one another, we have to be sensitive to understand that people are coming back and are yearning for our attention and are yearning yeah. for conversation. And it's like, we, there is some soul spirit feeding that needs to be happening as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's smart, smart all around. And then, you know, tell me a little bit about the Academy too. So the Academy, you know, you're helping budding hairstylists sharpen their business skills. Where did kind of the, where, you know, where did that start from an inception perspective and how is it going? Academy is amazing. Um, it's been a blessing. We've had roughly right, right under hundred students go through the program. Um, and one who actually two who do pop-ups at my two do pop-ups at oh, the salon cool. come yeah from neighboring states um and basically the purpose of it was I took what I applied I took what I learned in business school like in, in getting my bachelor's um yeah. in business and was just kind of like oh how can this when I was in school I was like how can this apply to what I'm doing sure. right so like yeah. how do I learn about like a SWOT analysis and make this make sense to me as a hairstylist mm -hmm. um how do you learn about like, you know, profit versus, you know, revenue, right? Like, sure. how do you, what does that mean? Or like, what does, you know, when you think about cogs, right? Um, what does that mean to me? That's back bar, that's shampoo, that's yeah. conditioner, and just kind of making it digestible. Because what I've noticed is that creative minds, like you're, we're creative, we know how to create, yeah. but we don't know right. how creatives are generally out in the open yeah. and out in the universe. <laughs> whereas like, we need structure, we need guidelines, we need boundaries. And that's really, um, how the Academy started. And, and yeah. it's grown into a way where there is the program that you could, you could purchase. And then there's, um, the other part of it where we do individual consulting for, um, stylist or, or salon owners who really just, still don't want to do the work. Like everything is given to you in the Academy templates, formats. It's like a plug and play cookie cutter awesome. situation, wow. but I've learned that people still don't want to, people don't want to do the work sometimes and that's okay. I <laughs> mean, um, if you don't want to do the work, one of the things that um, I offer with my partner is um, through say solutions uh, is uh, we do the work for you. So we would create oh. everything strategies, look at your numbers um, in depth and 
it came to light because of me, just my own experience. Like I remember when I opened my first salon and I wanted to, um, get a business loan. And I remember they were like, yeah, you can only qualify for this amount. And I was just like, but why I could afford more. And they're mm-hmm. like, well, your taxes don't say you could afford more. And I paid my taxes, but like most, some hairstylists do, we play with our numbers. We don't always claim for our sure. tips yeah. and, <laughs> and all of that stuff. And it was just kind of like, I found out how detrimental it was to me. Um, and then when I thought about pricing, you know, just yeah. throwing out surface pricing, not understanding so many people who there's so many hairstylists who are working with amazing people in the world, celebrities are on set, but like have nothing to show for. And I, I really, unfortunately think the pandemic really exposed those of us who financially weren't doing what we needed to do to make sure that we were okay. And it was just prior to the pandemic, I was on this mission to like change that and, and to, the other thing I tell people, like why people don't respect hairstylists is because we don't treat ourselves like businesses. Like we don't treat what we do as a professional business. And because we don't treat ourselves like a business on paper, there's no reason why, you know, government agencies are going to value us. Um, I was, I remember when I, you know, when people wanted to get vaccines and who was considered essential workers and it was just like, but we were, it's like, we're public facing as well. Right. In a very close proximity, but again, it's just, we so have, true. there's, there's a lot of things that we have to do to validify our business that is going to allow us to get to those places. Um, and so for me, it was just, I could share my experiences. I could share what I did. I know that it's not the only way, but I will, what is, what it, what has worked for me, I'm willing to share with other people. Cause I want to see everybody win. I'm one right. person. I can't service every client in the world. And I would love for you to win and to be just as as successful, whatever you define success success to be, um, we could do it together. Yeah, I love that. Um, you've also been uh, noted in multiple multiple publications with your "Good Hair Is Healthy Hair" philosophy. Tell us about that philosophy. I'm a black girl, and you know, I think growing up as a black girl in Orange County, um, I think that race and hair was always it till this day is a thing but you always hear this term in 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 black communities of like oh she got good hair oh she got good hair um one of my clients uh Jeanette Reyes who's Afro-Latina Miss News Lady on Instagram um recently shared some of you know her experiences with wearing hair so it's it's not just black women but just tighter curl patterns kinkier Mm -hmm. hair was always personified as it being not good, right? Like good hair was straighter hair. And for me, when I, my good hair is healthy hair philosophy came from the fact of like, it doesn't matter your texture, wavy, straight, kinky, coily, whatever. If your hair is healthy, that is what defines as good hair. And you've, I've heard so many clients come in and be like, you know, I don't got good hair. And it's just like, your hair is healthy. Mm -hmm. Your hair, what's that's, what is good hair? And it's for you, what, these parameters that society and these stigmas of what good hair is, is something that I've tried to break um, and really helping people embrace their hair, however they want to wear it. If I want to wear my hair straight one day and curly the next or wavy or put a wig on it or put braids in it or do anything for that matter or shave it off. Like that is my choice. And as long as it's healthy, um, that is what's important. And I think that we are so attached 
to our hair uh, for the wrong reasons. And we're attached to, we associate hair a specific way visually that determines it to be nice. Like I remember the other, sure. my hair is a little frizzy, as you could see, I'm, I know everyone can't see this in the podcast, but <laughs> I was at a show and my hair was reverting because of humidity and the girl's like, girl, let me come fix your hair. And I was like, it's fine. And she was like, no, it doesn't look good. And I was just like, it's frizzing. It's reverting. It's moisture in the air. My hair is curly. This is what it does. It's okay. Yeah. Because right. even if you put a flat iron to it, it's going to go right back to mm-hmm. that. You know, it's, it's what happens and I'm okay with that. And for myself, I think the philosophy also came from myself. There was a, there was, there's a constant journey of acceptance um, that I go through with figuring out that my hair doesn't have to be perfectly quaffed. Right. It's okay. How do you think big brands are doing in the industry to help promote a philosophy like good hair is healthy hair? Are we getting better? Are we not as big brands? I think as a whole, I think the industry is moving in the right direction. I think that I do question the authenticity and the intent behind some organizations and some companies and what they're doing with it as it pertains to working in the textured hair care market. Um, But I do think that there are a lot of brands that are authentically trying to figure out how to enter the market. I think sometimes... um, the way that they do it is not always right, but I think that transparency is what's important. And I think having someone um, work with a company, work with your brand that is able to provide you with multiple perspectives and, and just knowing that yeah. you need multiple perspectives. It can't just be one person that you use. Like I tell people all the time, like I can't be the black hair spokesperson for like, I'm not, I don't know everything. Right. But I, but there, I have friends that could, I could connect you with and you need to talk with multiple people and get multiple right. perspectives. Um, right. And I think that at the end of the day, this is a stepping stone And it's, 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 it's the intent, like that they're attempting to, that I applaud. Um, but it's how, how are you, what's the follow-up really? What's the follow-up going to be? And for me, it's, I'm always an an, an advocate of saying what measurable change are you making to change the way that people look at textured hair? It's not just creating the product, but it's like, going back to cosmetology school, going back to these, you know, you know, heavily ethnic areas. um, Are you investing into those communities? Are you educating into those communities? Are you doing things for people coming up in cosmetology school? Are you supplying them with the products? Are we getting grants, right? To get people, are you allowing them scholarships? Mm -hmm. Are you looking for them to be your brand ambassadors, right? To like play with your products, to test products on, to be a part of, you know, when they come in your sample size, those things, it's more than just creating a product. We don't, there's plenty of products. And before there were products out there for us, there was ways that we still treated our hair. Black hair isn't new. Textured hair isn't new. It's been around forever. Um, and the products have gotten larger and the, 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 So, so it's just, again, being intentional, making it measurable um, and making true impact. Yeah. And that makes sense. I mean, launching a big product into that market is not saying anything, Anything. but buy our product. Right. Um, I love that thought of like going back into educate. How do we add, you know, additional education at the school level, right. For textured hair. I think there's a lot that we can be doing as an industry. So thank you for your take on that. 
All right, so into our quick takes. So first one out the gate is bar soap or body wash? Body wash. Woo, okay. You know what? We get a lot of very um, strong opinions for one or the other. So <laughs> body wash, because I feel like, yeah, body wash. It's just, it's like, I just think bar soap, you just don't know if someone else has used it. And like people right? really don't use washcloths. Let's be, there was a whole debate yeah, on like just... washcloths or hands. And it's like, at least it's like <laughs> body wash, you squeeze it or you pump it and you know, it's only touching you. <laughs> okay. That that's my logic. Yet, but that's like my logic. logic. <laughs> okay. If you have any downtime, what are you streaming right now on Netflix, podcasts, you name it. I'm so that bad. Is- um, I, my, my piece of <laughs> mind is actually music. Um, okay. so I listen to a lot of different types of music at home, okay. but right. I don't turn on the TV uh, my, and anybody who knows me will like vouch for me. Uh, everyone always makes fun of me. Cause they'll say somebody's name and I'd be like, who's that? I know. Yeah. All right. All right. You're a music lover. All right. What is one product that you cannot live without? There's a lotion. Okay. Yeah, let's hear it. Body shop, righteous butter. The righteous butter. All right. Haven't heard of you that. You buy one. it at Target. All right. It's amazing. I, okay. I got it as a sample. It's my list. I oh. got it as a sample probably <laughs> like 14 years ago, 13 oh. years ago. And it's, it's been with me since. All right. Brand loyalist. Got it. All right. Last one. Advice for those who want to make it to the top of our industry. You determine where the top is. Do not let anybody else determine what that is. So that's it. That's it. That's it. I love it. All right. So we are wrapped. Thank you so much for your time. It was wonderful Thank getting you. to know you. I absolutely you. adore your background and your spirit. Um, and Thank you. you. All the most success. Okay. So I mean, amazing, right? Amazing accomplishments, like check on the resume. Um, I just think that she's so inspirational and really captures and embodies the spirit of our salon professional community by training, by sharing and giving and giving of herself. So kudos to you, Yane. I will be cheering you on from the sidelines to see where you go next, to see where you take your career. Be sure to hit subscribe, rate and review, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok at Read the Tease and send in questions to volume up at thetease.com. Volume Up is a Tease Media production. This episode was produced by Monica Hickey, Stephen Jabaran, and Matt Hickey. Thank you to our creative team for putting together the graphics for this episode and to Josh Landowski for editing so you can watch and listen on YouTube.